We thank you for not events because, Lord, you didn't come and die for church events, but you came and died for unity and opportunities. And so may we continue to be strategic in the things that we put on the calendar. And Lord, even right now in this moment that you would speak to us through your word, this word written thousands of years ago that is so applicable now and in our lives. God, would you be manifest here with us? We know that you are. We thank you. And would you speak through your Holy Spirit? Give us ears to hear. It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to listen. Help us to listen to what you're saying. Lord, your word is being spoken here. I have nothing to offer. I, I'm, I, got, I got nothing, but you do. And your word has a purpose. Lord, may we never minimize the power of your word speaking in our lives. May we never take the opening of your word and the hearing of your word and the memorizing of your word and the studying of your word lightly because your word is life and it's light and it guides us into the paths of righteousness. And so we, we speak your words now and Jesus so that we would look more like you when we finish and our lives would be changed in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen and amen. We're in Ruth chapter 2. I'm so excited because there is so much ground to cover. Um, I hope you did not have pancakes and, uh, and, cr and, uh, and muffins this morning for breakfast because you'll be comatose in about 30 minutes if you did. Uh, and if you do, uh, we've, I've instructed Mel to get you started on burpees to wake you up. Just a little bit, so she'll be walking back and forth checking for anybody who's dozing off. Um, uh, I'm kidding. You're like, man, what kind of, is this like the workout church? What are we doing here? Which is not a bad idea. Uh, not a bad idea. We marked that down for the building campaign that we might want to consider a, some sort of a church aerobics thingy, you know. As a ministry to the community and to the body of Christ ministering to with the holistic approach here at Living Grace Foursquare Church. We believe in body, soul, and spirit. Can you say amen to that? You don't have to. <laughs> now you don't know what to do when I say that, huh? Psalm chapter 31, verse 14. This is one of the key scriptures that we've been doing as we've been, what we've been reciting as we lead into, into our study in Ruth. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God and my times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. Wednesday night live from the living room, Don and I, and, you, and sometimes a guest, uh, we, uh, we, we go through the scriptures for the daily reading that we're doing in uh, the Bible recap. And so there's information about that on our website. And we were studying the book of Daniel, and um, uh, there was a particular scripture in Daniel chapter 4 that had to do with Daniel and God and the, the, the most powerful man on earth, King Nebuchadnezzar. You, we can't imagine a man like Nebuchadnezzar that dominates the entire world, the entire civilized world. Uh, we can't think along those lines, but this man was the most powerful man on earth, but he was not the most powerful man in heaven. Uh, uh, God had ordained someone else to be the most powerful man on earth earth and that was Daniel and so so uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had a pride issue and God wanted to teach him a lesson so so he humbled him and the scripture says in Daniel chapter 4 verse 25 
that he, was, he has this dream that Daniel interprets and says, King, you're about to lose everything. In fact, you're going to be roaming in the field not knowing your name. You're about to go crazy for seven years so that, so that you would know uh, that the most high rules of the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Nebuchadnezzar needed to be humbled so that he recognized who really was in charge. Well, it was about a year later where this was actually fulfilled in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, he's driven among men. He's eating grass like an ox. And verse 34 of Daniel 4 says, uh, this, is, this is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony about God. He's a pagan king. He has no allegiance, no honor to God until God humbled him and said, yo, who's in control, you or me? This is what he said after seven years of having lost his mind. Y'all ever been in a state where you've lost your mind, whether self-induced or because of someone else? Sometimes God's speaking in those situations because he wants to get your attention. God has Nebuchadnezzar's attention. And he realizes it and says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Verse 35 says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? That's pretty good for a pagan king who's, the, who's arguably, no, who is the most powerful man on earth, but he had an encounter with God. Verse 36, verse 37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Now, you have to ask yourself the question, how did the king get to this place? Well, that's because of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the other exiles that were brought. Daniel, as a young man, was taken uh, to Babylon, and, and they became the conduits of the Word of God to this pagan nation. I might add, if you don't know the story, they were violently taken as teenagers from their land to Babylon. Violently taken. They were abducted. They were political prisoners. So this man has a dream that Daniel interprets, but Daniel gets there out of a tremendously difficult situation, okay? I want to talk to you about this briefly before we get into the scripture, this context called redemption and lift. And redemption and lift says this, this is a missiologist term, is that when, when the gospel, when when the Word of God and the people of God go into a culture, it could be any culture, it doesn't matter, there's something that happens in that culture. And it's this, there's a lifting of that culture. Their families are reunited. Uh, 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 wayward children are coming back. Uh, the, the, the city is changing. The nation, the tribe is beginning to change. And maybe at one time where they, they practice harmful, hurtful things, they're walking uh, away from that like the uh, 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 Don Richardson 
uh, uh, and the work that he had done. You can read about his work in a book called Eternity in Their Hearts where he would go into a tribal group and he would present the gospel and, and, and everything about that tribe would change. Uh, and the practices of cannibalism or men with multiple wives or child sacrifice, they all begin to change. That's called redemption and lift. And let me tell you, in your life, when the gospel goes forth in your life, when you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's a lift that happens in your life too. I'd like to add another word to the concept of redemption and lift and call it suffering, redemption, and lift. Because if lift, if redemption and lift is going to have to happen, someone's going to have to suffer first. Someone has to pay the price. When you see a true work of God, you can always ask this question, who paid the price for this? Because nothing of God, and I don't want to just put God in this, in this, in this category that says suffering has to happen. But it just seems like it always does. Let me take you back to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ rose from the dead on Sunday, but before Sunday was Friday where he was crucified. Someone has to do that. For this king to have an encounter with God, Daniel and the exiles had to suffer the loss of everything. What a terrible, tragic situation to be placed in. And how could anything good come out of this? And so the first faith point I want you to understand this morning is God is able to redeem the worst of situations in our life. The worst of situations, God is able to redeem and turn them and make them something that can be a blessing to you and maybe even a blessing to others. Their willingness to stand up for righteousness and see beyond their suffering position them to be a blessing in Babylon. Let me say it again. Their willingness to stand up for righteousness and see beyond their suffering position them to be a blessing to Babylon. Trials and tribulation not only shape us and form us into the image of Jesus, but they also open doors of opportunity to be a witness. Suffering is the seed that can bring forth the fruit of righteousness. So that's a paradigm shift when we enter into a season of trial and suffering and hardship or difficulty where we say, God, what do you want of me in this? How do you want to use this for your glory, God? Because God takes those things and he uses them all for his glory. We're in the dark days of the series or, or the time frame of the Judges. Judges chapter 21, verse 25, if you've been with us for the last couple of months, you know that it says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Naomi, if you are with us last week, has returned. Uh, her and her family have, had gone to find food in, um, I forget where, Moab. <laughs> yeah, that's where. And it didn't work out so well. And she has made her way back. She's lost everything. She's lost her sons, her, two, her, her only two kids, her boys. She's lost her children. She has lost her husband. She has lost everything except 
this Moabite woman, Ruth, who chose to come with her. She returns and she's bitter and she's angry. Her own testimony says that she's mad at God. Chapter 1, verse 22 says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite is her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. And last week we talked about how that being the last statement in chapter 1 is a statement of hope because there's a barley harvest. There's food. There's sustenance. God is blessing his people with food. And Warren Wiersbe says this, and it pertains to the contrast between Ruth's attitude and Naomi's attitude. He said, before God changes our circumstances, he wants to change our hearts. If our circumstances change for the better, but we remain the same, then we become worse. God's purpose in providence is not to make us comfortable, but to make us conformable. Conformed to the image of his son. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Naomi is bitter against God. Ruth was willing to let God have his way. And so God chose to work through Ruth to be a blessing to Naomi. Sometimes God wants to work through us, but he chooses not to because we are bitter at God. And there are times where he will work through those who are humble and say, God, there's a purpose and reason beyond my understanding, and I may never know, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, if you've read the book, you know that in time, Naomi comes around. But God's going to work through Ruth, and that's okay. But he wants heart change, not just circumstance change. I sometimes want circumstance change. But how many of you know God is in it for the long game? <laughs> oh, God ain't in no hurry. I'm in a hurry. God's not. We will be introduced to Boaz, a man of great wealth who is a relative of Naomi. Interesting possibilities. Let me tell you about widows in the ancient land. Not much hope of survival if they had no family. There was no place to go to for widows. Uh, their outlook was bleak at best. Naomi had herself and Ruth to provide, uh, to, to take care of, and she had the sting of hanging around with a Moabite girl, which were looked down upon by the people of Israel. She's from the other side of the tracks. She don't look like them. She don't speak like them. She got a little bit of an accent. And they see her and they like, they got to be in their hearts going, wow, man, what is up with this? What you doing with her? <clears throat> Let me tell you about gleaning. This was the welfare program for the poor and the foreigner or the stranger because God always had a provision 
for widows and orphans and, and strangers, uh, like from Moabite, the, from Moab. He always had a provision for them so that they would not starve. It was incumbent upon the people of God to provide for those who may not know God so that they would have ample supply. That was God's process. And the law commanded landowners to leave some crop for the poor. Don't be greedy. Everybody knows that you, you're going to harvest more than you can you you know, sell or you can possibly eat or whatever. Everybody knows that because God's blessing your business. And he says, I want the overflow to go to those who have nothing. That's what God says. Amen. <clears throat> they had the right to glean the widow and the orphan, but some of the landowners were still looking at them sideways. So when you went out to glean, you had the, the stigma of, of your situation. You had the stigma of not being able to provide. Very humbling thing to have to go to a landowner and say, may I, may I glean in your field? Well, I have nothing. They were obligated to provide for you something. But, 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 but you had to go get it. You couldn't call the landowner up and say, yo, man, bring me another crate of corn. He'd be like, yo, where are you from? You must be from Moab. You better get yourself over here and get your own corn. How do you think this works? You think you're going to get it for free? Oh, it's going to be free, but you got to come get it. It's going to, we're going to move right on that topic. We just keep, keep on rolling. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. That's my opening. How are you guys glad you came this morning? Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. I see your hand. Yes, back there, aerobics instructor. Anyone else? Yes, I see your hand back there. I see God moving all over the sanctuary. Over there, yes, ma'am. Seattle in the house. Yes, ma'am. Go Hawks. Uh, Here we go. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now, there was a relative of Naomi's husband among the host of uh, 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 a man, uh, sorry, of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. That's a statement of hope right there. Chapter 2 like it, for the end of chapter 1, verse 22, it's barley time. God's providing. And the next thing we read is that we have found a relative of Naomi's. That's a good, good thing. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. I want to talk to you about the providence of God. And I, and wait a minute, did we talk about that last week? Yes. And did we talk about that the week before? Yes. And we going to talk about it today? Yes. And we going to talk about it tomorrow? You betcha. Okay. This is a huge topic, and it shows up all over Ruth. Here's the way I describe it. God working in advance, behind the scenes, to accomplish his purposes so that at the right time, his desire will happen all for his glory. God is working. You thought it was random chance plus time. But when you get to the end of eternity and the providence of God, you find him orchestrating everything. I always wondered, how in the world did I end up in Las Vegas? I mean, I had, as a basketball player at, at, at 18 years old, I had opportunities, all, you know what I'm talking about, all over, all over to go to college. Did I end up in Las Vegas? I'm like, how did I end up? And when I, when I, when I graduated from college, I couldn't wait to leave Las Vegas. And I was not a follower of Jesus. And I actually purchased in the mail a... Uh, a, a book, uh, what is it, um, 
Uh, anyway, it was a, it was a charter uh, of, of the San Diego, because I was like, man, when I graduate, I am so moving to San Diego. It'll be at the speed of heat, man. I, I put everything in the deuce and a quarter. I'm going to roll to San Diego, and I'm gone. I, I, no, that's not what happened. 38 years later, how old are you? 40. 40, you feel me. 38 years later, I'm still here. That's the providence of God. That's the providence of God. There ain't no way. There ain't, that was not a part of my plan. Every time I try to leave, I end up coming back. I'm down in Los Angeles living with a friend on his couch in L.A., uh, in Inglewood. Inglewood! Woo! Anyway, uh, and, uh, and, and I come back for an alumni game. I have no intentions of literally moving back to Las Vegas. I come, I come back to Las Vegas to play in an alumni game. Coach Tarkanian says, hey, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. I'm hanging out in Inglewood right now, which means every other day I'm at Malibu. Come on, y'all. And, uh, and uh, he says, uh, well, I said, well, I'm, I don't know. I might go overseas and play. Uh, I'm looking. I got a couple opportunities. Uh, my, the guy that I'm living with, it works for TRW. They want minority hires. And, you know, I'm a black German. I'm as minority as they get. And uh, he wants to hire me, but I don't know if I want to start actually working yet. And uh, he goes, well, why don't you go to school? I said, go to school? I've already graduated. You mean get a master's degree? Yeah. And I said this. I have no idea to this day why I said this. I said, are you paying? He said, yes. I said, I'm going back to school. <laughs> How did that happen? How did I end up back in? I don't get it. Oh, the providence of God. You think that's funny? Chamber of Commerce. I got me a, I was smart enough to know, get you a Chamber of Commerce book and start putting out resumes. And I'm stuck in 110 degrees instead of 71. Stop it. Providence. Uh, it says in verse 2, don't look at your clock. So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, please go, <clears throat> let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him whose sight I may find favor. And she, said, and she said to her, go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Proverbs 16.9 says, in his heart or man's heart, plans his ways, but God directs his step. She just happened, of all the fields, think, think, think you know, uh, a baker's field, you know, uh, the breadbasket of the world, of all the fields, she's like, well, how about this field? Has no idea. It just so happens to be Boaz's field, who is a relative to Naomi. What a coincidence. What are the odds of that? Oh, who knows? Ah, but God knows. She happened to come to. God is the, is the supreme sovereign of the universe, and nothing happens without his knowledge and permission. Man has free will. God is sovereign. Both are true. Don't ask me to explain that. Question 27 of the Heidelberg Catechism, written in 1563. I'm partial to the uh, a Heidelberg catechism, because I was born in Heidelberg. Heidelberg represent no one. Okay, here we go. What do you understand by the providence of God? The Almighty everywhere 
present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Take a picture of that and remind yourself of that when you're wondering what in the world is going on. Never lose the wonder of God working in and through your life for his purposes and pleasure. Never lose the wonder of God working in your life to accomplish his plans and purposes, even in the small things. I don't remember if I shared this with you or not. Years ago, I... I, I was at a, a basketball game at, at the Thomas and Mac. UNLV was playing. This is when they used to pack the Mac, and it was almost sold out, 1987, okay? I, uh, and, and it was a great game. It was one of my favorite teams. I went to almost all their home games. And, 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 and I, I, leave the, I leave the Thomas and Mac. There's at least 17,000 people there. And the next morning, I can't find my wallet. I can't find my wallet. And, and this was before identity theft was mainstream, like only rich people had their identity stolen. Now everybody can, you know, equal opportunity identity theft stealers. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm looking all over for it. I go to work and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like now I'm thinking, okay, I got my driver's license and, you know, my little one or two credit cards and this and that. And I'm, I'm, and, and I'm all anxious and like, ah. And then the Lord speaks to my heart and says, hey, why don't you, why don't you ask me? where your wallet is. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, <sighs> okay, Lord, I'm anxious. I'm nervous. I'm upset. I'm mad. I can't find my wallet. That's a, that's a crisis. Not really, but it's a big deal. Would you find my wallet for me? In Jesus' name. <sighs> I did feel better. Hadn't found my wallet yet, but I did feel better. And so I'm about my day, I'm working, 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 blah, blah, blah. And then someone calls, the uh, secretary calls in and says, hey, uh, so-and-so is on, on the phone. I go, okay, did they say anything else? Yeah, they're from UNLV. And I went, this is interesting. Okay. Hey, this is Richard, blah, blah, blah. And they go, and this is what he says. I'll never forget it. He goes, Richard Box. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, 17,000 people at the Thomas and Mac last night, and I'm the guy who finds your wallet. I'm like, hallelujah, <laughs> right, oh my gosh, where are you? <laughs> yeah, he goes, parking lot's cleared out, man, I'm like the last guy to leave because I work there, and I'm walking to my car, and I kick something, and I look down, and it's your wallet. I'm like, that's chilling. That's the providence of God. Oh, what a coincidence. No, 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 no. You see how as followers of Jesus, we can't live in the realm of coincidence? We live in the realm of purpose. I'll never forget it. I was awed. But you know what? I want to always be awed by God. Ruth is a kingdom girl. We're going to learn a lot about her. Ladies, take note. Gentlemen, you're going to learn a lot about Ruth too. And you'll learn a lot about Boaz. We'll get to that. Take note. She's a kingdom girl. A kingdom girl is someone who, regardless of where she's at 
or whatever God has her doing, her mind is fixed on things above, not on things of the earth. Proverbs 31, woman gets all the press, but Ruth leaves a solid example of how a woman of God lives her life. First of all, she takes initiative. She's the one who went to Naomi and said, let me go glean in the field. She's not, she's not saying, oh, the world owes me. She's not blaming anyone for her circumstances. She's not depending on Naomi to provide her needs. No, she steps up and says, Naomi, I'm going to go glean. I'm going to go work these fields and we'll see what God does. I have a, a problem culturally in our nation when people who are wealthy are automatically vilified. There's, when you read the press, if you can believe it, if it's true, you always have to go say, what's the, what's the underlying thing here? Because there's always something underlying. Watch this. Article 14 of the original uh, 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 Communist Manifesto, written in 1933, says this. Humanists demand a shared life in a shared world order. Did I mention that was written in 1933? I go on. Article 14, um, in the eyes of the radical secularists, written by Erwin Lutzer, in the eyes of the, of the radical secularists, those who acquire wealth do so on the backs of the poor. Social justice requires that their wealth be redistributed and if you think globally, America allegedly has become wealthy to the detriment of other nations. Thus, America owes the rest of the world. How better to redistribute this wealth but through giving other nations the resources to fight climate change? No wonder patriotism must be denounced because you can't achieve a globalist agenda as long as America has a capital, uh, 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 as long as American exceptionalism is alive. Perhaps now we understand why the secularists, those who don't believe in God, see the United States flag as a symbol of racism, oppression, white privilege or supremacy, and corrosive nationalism and capitalism. There's always something behind it. The redistribution of wealth is a communist concept. What do you do with the person who grew up dirt poor and worked extremely hard, bought a house and took out a second and a third on their house to, to accomplish their dream and they rise from ashes to financial security and they did that on the backs of who? They're the ones who took the risk. They're the ones who dealt with the mental anguish. They're the ones who did the hard work and they're, they're a nation of people, a lot of young people, that believe that that should be redistributed to those who didn't do the work. Oh, we're familiar with that. That's called communism. Pay attention, church. Because there could become a time when what I just said might cause me to be censured. Oh, oh, that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. 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 My freedom comes from Jesus Christ. And I happen to live in at least what now is a free nation. But my freedom is not bound by what the law says and doesn't say. And I'm not a lawbreaker unless it goes against what my Jesus tells me. I'm going to break it every day. 
because I have a higher allegiance and I, fire, I, I, I follow a higher standard and a higher law, the law of God, which, by the way, is the law of love. Ruth has a desire to work. She's not waiting on God. Wait, have you found a job yet? No, brother, I'm waiting on God. Oh, I see, you lazy. <laughs> She's not waiting on a feeling. Well, I haven't felt led to work yet. Translation, you haven't felt the pressure of bill collectors yet. <laughs> Sometimes it's amazing how you feel the need to find a job when you feel bill collectors. <laughs> I need to get busy. She's strapping on her sandals and she's out there hustling. She's doing what's necessary. She's trusting that God will provide her steps. God ain't got time for loafers, slackers, want everything given to them. Now God ain't got, I, I have to be careful because God cares about everyone. So I don't want to misrepresent. Scripture shows us, though, that God picks men and women who are already busy working where they've been planted. Moses was what? Tending sheep. David was what? A shepherd. Saul, when he got called, was looking for his father's donkey, King Saul. Elisha was what? When he got called, plowing a field. Amos was working in the fields with his plow. Peter, James, John, and Andrew were fishing and or mending nets when they got called by Jesus. Matthew was busy when he got called by Jesus. What? Collecting taxes. Ruth will be working in the fields when the entire destiny of a nation will change. If you're waiting on God to reveal his purposes in your life, don't presume where you are now isn't it. Be busy working hard where God has already planted you because promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or from the south, but it comes from God. Morris Chapman was a janitor at a school before he was a world-renowned worship leader. What was he? Busy doing what God had before him. He's emptying trashes. He's probably working nights. And he's all the time praying and meditating and thinking worship. He's worshiping in his work. And God raised him up to a worldwide platform. Ruth is a servant. She takes initiative. She desires. She ain't, she ain't afraid to work hard. And she's a servant She's not only working for her sustenance, but for Naomi's as well. Verse 4 says, Now, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem to see the reapers. Boaz, hey, where is, where is Ruth? Oh, she's in Boaz's field. He don't know it yet. He's just busy being a kingdom man, going to check the crops, and making sure the dudes ain't just messing around, but they're working because it's his field. And they're getting paid a fair wage, and he's just like, well, coming to check out the boys. What's up? How we doing? What's the quota look like? That's not in there, but that's... And he says to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answer him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, hey, yo, who that? <laughs> uh, who's, whose young woman is this? Uh, hey, hey, okay, she's not from around here, is she? No, you could tell, right? She's not from around here. Well, okay, I don't recall... Oh, okay, okay. What's up? What's up? Hey, yo. Uh, who, who she, who she with? She with anybody? No. Oh. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, "It is the young Moabite woman who came back from Naomi 
with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, although she rested a little in the house. This shows us something about the character of Boaz because apparently his workers loved him and had a good relationship with him. You know, you can often tell the real character of someone in authority by how he relates to those who work for him and how they relate to him. Ruth takes initiative. Uh, She desires hard work. She's a servant and she's humble. She's humble. She could have recited the law and said, no, 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 you owe me this. The law says I, you're supposed to allow. No, she asks humbly. And she gleans seemingly all day. To glean is to, is, to, is to pick up the leftovers. She's gleaning all day. It's hot, probably. Okay? She's working at Gilcrease Orchard at 2 in the afternoon in July. Yeah, yeah, I'll go at 9 in the morning like me, right? Trying to beat the heat. She may not have known it, but she was being watched because the man said everything about her. This is who she is, and she's been working all day. He's watching her. The supervisor was impressed that she had done such a good job. May I say to you that you and I are being watched as well. People are watching to see if we live out what we proclaim or what we say we believe. 1 Peter 2.12 uh, 2 says, uh, have your conduct, Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. I want to remind you, the devil is watching you too. He and his minions. They're setting landmines before us. They're influencing, pushing, tempting, drawing us into sin, into the flesh. Anything but Jesus. You're being watched. You have a target on your back. Especially if the enemy knows that if that if 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 he doesn't come at you, you will make significant impact in the kingdom of God. See, you have a story to tell. And other people need to hear your story. You have been set free in Jesus. Now you have the capability by his grace to set others free. And the enemy knows that. So he's watching you. Oh, no, no, oh, no. Send this. Send that. Don't let them. Oh, they don't know. Their favorite football game is on. Don't go to church. Don't go to small group. Oh, isolate. Oh, bring hardship. Bring a hurricane in their life and let them isolate. And maybe we could do something. But whatever you do, don't let them step into all that God has for them. Oh, you're being watched. But it's okay. We already know that. Because he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Then Boaz steps up and says to Ruth, you listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go and glean in another field, nor go from there, but stay close to my young women, those laborers in the field. Uh, Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. What? Favor status. What? She a frequent fly just showed up and already got credentials. She got a backstage pass. Oh, he like, no, girl, you go anywhere you want to go. Tell him I said it's okay. In fact, you don't need credentials. I'm your credential. 
excuse me. Oh, yeah, come on. Yeah, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. The kindness of Boaz is extraordinary. Men, take note. This is your part. He tells her to stay near his field. He protects her from the young men because guess what? She's a foreigner. They don't know her story, maybe, and it's a difficult place to be. She's going to hear remarks. Oh, here she come, that blah, 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 whatever profanity was 3,000 years ago, Moabitess. No, man, don't, no, 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 don't, no. Treat her like she is, like the, like the trash that she is. Oh, no, 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 no. He's already talked to the men. Y'all, 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 y'all keep your hands off Ruth, and you better be careful what you say, because if it comes to me, it's going to be some stuff. I don't know that he said it in quite those words, but you understand the context. I don't think I'm leaping out of Scripture in that. When you are thirsty, go and drink those vessels. He protects her. He provides for her. Um, I see a similarity to the job of a husband for his wife. He says, stay close to my field. Here's what I think that means. Men, shrink the distance between you and your wife with kindness. You might want to take a picture of that. Shrink the distance between you and your wife with kindness. Kindness will keep you close. Be that protective covering because you only protect that which you value. Provide spiritual and emotional as well as physical protection, but provide spiritual protection first because that's the greater need. He gives her permission to drink from the water his men had drawn. Nobody else had that permission. That water's hard to get because when you're gleaning in the field, you go get your own water. And the men get their own. And he's like, no, you just go drink theirs. (laughs) Therefore, she doesn't have to go all the way to the well and all the way back. What's he doing? He's providing opportunity for her to glean even more because she doesn't have to waste her time going to get water. Now, we don't know if there's any physical attraction between them yet. We don't know that. We assume there is, but we don't know that. From a looks standpoint, we know nothing about Ruth. There are times in the scripture that it says she's be- she was beautiful, beautiful to look at. It doesn't say that about her. What we do know is she's a foreigner, so she's different. And we also know she's been in the fields all day, which means she's probably toe up. Uh Her mascara is running, lipstick gone, hair's all over the place. Like the way you look when you work in the field all day. I cut my grass for 20 minutes, man. I'm ready for an extreme makeover. (laughs) Joe, what's up, man? Shoot. It's easy to show kindness when we want something back. Oh, I hope you got that. It is easy to show kindness when we want something back. But true kindness should be extended whether or not we want something or are going to get something. See, man, when you were dating your wife, you were spinning your web. Oh, you were as kind as can be. Oh, my gosh, he's such a gentleman. Where'd you find him? Yeah, 20 years later, he's like, get your own door. I'm trying to turn the air on. Come on, get in the car. What happened? Ah, shrink the (laughs) gap. Right? Talking about the remote don't work. I got to open from the other side. Man, open the door for your bride, man. (laughs) I'm telling on myself because, anyway. um. Here's what I want to say to you. Why should the people of God, why, why should the people of God be the kindest people on earth? 
Why? You answer that. Perhaps Boaz saw something deeper in her, I believe. How she responds to his kindness will tell us a lot about her character. I believe he looked at her and saw something beyond looks. He saw something of the heart. Ladies, if you did not know this, the heart attraction transcends the outward attraction. Because the heart attraction is what lasts. The outward attraction can change. That knight in shining armor, now he's more of a tin man. (laughs) (laughs) Marriage counseling available for free at our church here at Living Grace Foursquare because we care about your marriages. He might be suffering from furniture disease. Y'all know what that is when, when a man's chest drops to his drawers. Oh, I hate when that happens. <laughs> Did we mention the inner beauty? Verse 10, I'm almost done. Stay with me. Stay with me. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? And Boaz answered her and said, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father, your mother, and the land of your birth and have come to a people who you did not know before. The Lord repay your work. With a full reward, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Ooh! Oh! Verse 13 says, Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for, uh, I have, uh, for you have con- uh, comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maids. She, the, the level of humility is, is, is incredible. The kindness of Boaz and the humility of Ruth. Her kindness towards Naomi and willingness to sacrifice caught the attention of Boaz. And he prays a blessing upon her and has no idea how he'll be involved in that blessing. But it'll come true. According to Boaz, Ruth had taken refuge under the Lord's wings. Think of the eagle high up on the uh, uh, cliff uh, who's, who's got the young ones and the sun is hot and it's beating down and, and, and Mama Eagle uh, spreads out her wings and provides refuge from the elements. You know, God is a refuge. You can take refuge under His wings. Where do you go when you need a refuge? Because you can't always go to Malibu Beach. It's not practical. Where do you go? Where's your safe place? Not your happy place. Your safe place. Where's the place that you run to when you need rest and you need, you need the love of God poured out? God is a refuge. God is a strength. He'll spread His wings over you and protect you from the elements if you will come to Him. picture of trust and security. Psalm 36, 7 says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Oh, folks, let the Lord comfort you. Find that place of refuge with Him. We run to so many different things and people and places. 
when the true refuge is found in Christ, the shepherd and guardian of our souls, the one who leads us beside still waters, who renews our strength, it's not found in a place, a place, a person, or some book. It's found in Him. All those things can be a part of it. But true refuge is found under the shadow of His wings. That is healing, folks. That is sustaining power. At lunchtime, Boaz goes to the next step. He goes next level and invites Ruth to join him and his workers. And she ate till she was full. She's with the workers, and she's eating. And then she takes a little extra, extra. She brings some to Naomi because she's kind, and she thinks about others first. She has no agenda. She's still a servant girl and a foreigner in a land. She, she has, we can read the end of the book and go, oh, wow, but she doesn't know that. After lunch, she returns to work, and Boaz told his workers, let her glean from among the sheaves, that is the bundle of grain. In other words, deliberately drop more. Okay, let me get this straight. First of all, you let this forder drink with us. Then you let her eat with us, which is a symbol of communion, union, fellowship. You don't just invite the Moabite girl to the table. And then he says, now you want us to throw a little extra. Like, one in our basket, one in her basket. one in, And then they say, don't bother her. Don't say nothing when she gleans it. It's like, yo, man, this girl going to break us. <laughs> no, what's happening with you, Boaz? You got what, you kind of floating around here looking all happy and giddy. What's going on? Oh, he's providing even more. What's he providing? An abundance. An abundance. Ruth worked the rest of the day and threshed what she had gleaned. That means she, she separated the chaff from the wheat. She ends up with an ephah, which is a large amount uh, of grain for one day. And she brings her harvest to Naomi. Verse 19, stay with me. And her mother-in-law said to her, uh, where have you gleaned today? Where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So her mother, so she told, and she doesn't even know who it is at this point. So so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and she said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi had to go, what? 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 No. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, uh, I want you to feel this with me, right? Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be, the, uh, be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is, is, a, is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. And Naomi knows that God has just done something miraculous. Everything has changed. She came back Mara, and God has met her in her bitterness and her hurt and her pain. God meets his people when they are broken, toe up from the flow up. When you're at rock bottom, oh, God will meet you there. He meets you on the mountaintop and he meets you on the bottom. He meets you wherever you want to have a meeting with him. 
Is this the same woman who came in town saying, Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me? The same woman who said the Almighty has afflicted me? Ruth chapter 1, verse 21. Of course it is. She sees something that God's doing now. She can see better days ahead. Chapter 2 ends with hope. (laughs) Because Naomi realizes that Boaz has the ability to change everything. Only God could arrange that. Verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young women and that people do not meet uh, you in, uh, in any other field. So she stayed close by the young woman of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Ruth did what Naomi told her for the next to do for the next seven to eight weeks, according to late uh, uh, April to early June. Ruth, Ruth gleaned with the reapers. This last thing I wrote down is that she was patient. She was patient. And she kept working. And she went back the next day. Maybe she didn't even see Boaz. We don't know. It does not record it. But she goes back to work. Straps on the sandals. I'm going to glean. I'm going to glean. I'm going to glean. And I'm going to keep gleaning. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep doing my part. I'm going to keep trusting in God. I know that things are looking better. I believe things are going to get better. I don't see it yet, but I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep trusting. I'm going to keep growing. I'm staying at that field. Lord, you called me to this field. You didn't call me to that field. I'm going to keep working this field. And if I have to work this field the rest of my life, I've already seen your provision. Because being where you want me to be is the the most optimal place for me to be. Ruth is patient. A few things in closing. You'll notice the parallels between... We who are, don't know the king or don't know the provider, we who are outside the field, we who are foreigners, you'll notice the similarity between what God does in their life and what he did in my life and hopefully your life too. Um, she put her trust in the God of Israel because the God of Israel introduced himself to her through Naomi or maybe even their their son. We don't know. But she she recognized something in Naomi that made her say, where you go, I'll go, and where you stay, I'll stay. And your God will be my God. She's living in the land of famine. There's promise over here, but she has no guarantees. But somehow God has revealed himself to her and she has responded. She's a foreigner. And God says, no, there's room for you at the table too, sister. There's room for you, daughter. She put her trust and faith in God way before she ever got to Israel. 
And God honored that and God blessed that. She left her former life, which we as followers of Jesus, when he introduces himself to us and we come to the table and we're able to glean all that he has for us, guess what? We have to leave the past behind. We can't keep going back to Moab. Moab represents famine and hardship and falseness. Now I'm in a place where I'm next to God. I can't go back. She had to leave her. You got to leave what is behind if you want to go on with God. And that means something different to each of us. She was very low in her own eyes. She's got nothing. She's got, I just, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Moabitess. I'm not even welcome here. I can't believe I got a seat at the table. I'm drinking with these, with the men. I'm, I'm eating with, this is insane. And she recognizes the sinfulness, the wretchedness, the distance. She recognizes how far she is from God. She's not proud and voiceful and demanding. She's like, God, I'll take whatever you give me. Because she recognizes she's on the outside. See, when you're on the outside, you know it. And everybody reminds you. And you get comfortable being on the outside. It's where you are. It's where everybody else you hang with is. And then God touches you and says, no, you're too far. I want you on the inside. Walk with me. Come with me. Let me provide for you. And he draws her in. And she's low. She's like, oh, man, this is incredible. I can't believe this. I don't know what God's up to, but it's been good so far. Uh, uh, one, one hour here is better than 10 years in Moab. And she found protection under the wings of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, run to the altar. Thank you. Run to the altar. Run to the altar. And, and, and at the altar of God. Stop wasting time in Moab. You know what's in Moab? Nothing. Famine. A lack of true identity. She had no idea she was the queen that she is until she met the king. You, you can stay in Moab if you want to. You can continue to live off of a meager spiritual diet. You can continue. It's your choice. But our prayer for you today is that you would take a step of faith and that you would trust God and take refuge under his wings. Take refuge under his wings. We have communion here for any of you that may want to respond to the message or just want a private moment with God. Ruth was invited to the table of Boaz. The King Jesus invites you to his table. And communion is one of the ways that we celebrate that. If you'd like to do that, you're free to do that. If you want to know more about a personal walk with Jesus, the greatest decision you will ever make is what you're going to do with Jesus. The greatest decision that, that Ruth made was to walk with Naomi to the place where the one true God is. That was her greatest decision. If she hadn't have done that, we're not reading this book right now. She was compelled to go because when you're on the outside, you recognize an opportunity. You recognize it. 
So may the Spirit of God open our hearts and minds to all that God has for us. And Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together. God, draw us near to you that we might partake of all that you have for us. And Lord, you are patient. You'll wait. You won't wait forever, though. And you are kind. And we say thank you, Jesus, for extending your kindness to us, for it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen.